There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no heart, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hi, Dan. Happy February. Happy February. Happy February. Happy, happy February. What a weird spelling of a word. So many words spelled I, so strangely. Yes, but this one always gets me stuck. Feb, feb, February. February. Yeah. We could kick that R out. I know. February. No one, no one pronounces it here in America. I know. Does anybody anywhere? Probably. Maybe. My, my money would be on certain uh, well-educated Brits. That's what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. I was like, how do they say it, though? February. The, the, the masters of the English language. February. <laughs> true. The true masters. Meanwhile, while the intro is playing in my, mi in my mind, I'm just going, skirdader. Skirdader. What's wrong with me? That that's maybe that's where American English is evolving to. Uh huh. Skirtedur. Skirtedur. Oh. Uh, hope your hope your week is uh, moving along nicely. Where wherever you are, in England, U.S., South Africa, the Nordic countries. There's we we do we do have listeners all, all around Australia, New I Zealand. Know. You guys, people outside mm -hmm. of this country, spread the word. We want to travel there. Well, yeah, build. Come, we'll come do live shows in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, just build it up. Build it up. Okay. Let's go. This is the year, and then we build it this year, and the next year we tour. I've been saying that for years. <laughs> or more virtual shows from here. I know. That people get to watch from anywhere. I know. That is super fun. I don't know. Who, know, who knows? Anyways. Who knows what's in store? I uh, hope your week is moving along nicely and that this is, uh, you know, the only real scary part of it. Uh, brand new. Just one quick announcement and then um, we're on to uh, the show. Just a brand new Tales of the Dead tee in the Bad Magic store now. Fun yet dark and retro poster style graphic tee featuring Lindsay, me, some uninvited guests. Very cool. Mm -hmm. uh, if only these studio walls could tell us what they've seen, you can check it out now at badmagicmerch.com. And then uh, we're recording this a, a bit in advance. And yes, this is the first February episode. We have not picked out the February charity charity that I recall. We have not. Okay, good. And we don't, Same know, page. Good don't job. know how much. So no announcement there. Yep, sorry. And uh, and then, yeah, recording in advance due to some stand-up dates. You can go to dancummins.tv to find out uh, where I'll be touring and not telling scary stories. Not at least these kinds. 
of scary, scary stories. It's a different kind of different kind of scary sometimes. It's a different set of stories. <laughs> uh, how many stories do you have uh, for us today? I have dose. <laughs> dose stories. Sorry, when I said that, I yeah. thought of this old Mike Myers uh, sketch from Saturday Life. Would you, would you like? Oh, it's drawing. I had a story. Would you? Would you like a drawing? It's just like him in a bathtub showing people his drawings. I don't know that one. I don't know where that popped in my head. That's but okay. you have, you have David two. S. Pumpkins is always oh, in my God, head. David S. Pumpkins. Do you guys know David S. Pumpkins? If you don't, do yourself a favor. Mm-hmm. Go find it. Tom Hanks, David S. Pumpkins. It is my all-time favorite SNL skit. So, and that is like so a funny. big statement. So funny. It's just so good. But every time I'm in the studio, I'm like, David S. Pumpkins. A little Halloween Pumpkins. sketch. It's <laughs> <laughs> so great. So you have two. I have two stories. Uh, my first story, if you'll recall, uh, maybe last week's episode, you told the story of a possession uh, a, a, an exorcism. Okay. Yes. In a Romanian village. Uh-huh. And at the end, the woman dies. And we were just talking yes. about like, well, what happens if you don't die? What happens to you? I have a story about what happens if you survive an exorcism. Okay. 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 Somebody who's been exorcised. And then my second story is just a very weird experience in an apartment building. Uh, seeing something like, is someone living there? Is someone not? Questionable. What is living there? All right. I'm, uh, I like the sounds of both of those stories. It's going to be fun. I, I have two kind of classic ghost stories in a way. They both take place outside. Uh, first comes from England, uh, Witchwood Forest, and the ghost of Lady Lady Amy Dudley. Are and you going to tell the whole story that way? Probably not. Dang it. Uh, does a spirit of a woman who died long ago still roam the forest searching for the man who may have killed her, and uh, or had her killed rather, and can she kill? And then my next story takes us to Southern Oregon to an old cemetery, cemetery in Cottage Grove. Uh, a town you and I actually drove right past when moving from Santa Monica to Coeur d'Alene once. Okay, I was thinking that sounded familiar. Mm, right down there in Southern Oregon along I-5. Mm-hmm. Did a young couple confront the ghost who still wants to guard his land? So you ready to begin? Uh, Yes. Decent amount of setup for you to settle in on this first one. Okay, real quick. Fuzzy socks. Now, okay. I just want to make a note that I am shipping all my fuzzy socks off to a fan who uh, distributes like blankets and <laughs> oh. socks to homeless people. Okay. And she was like saying, like, you know, as long as they're clean and stuff, because, right? Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's great. So I'm going to be out of socks soon. So send socks. <laughs> and I also am using a fan blanket. And I'm going to apologize now that I can't recall who sent it. It came in around oh. the holidays. It was just so, you know, how the holidays are. But it is the coziest, softest, pretty, like. Handmade. Yeah. That's awesome. So thank you, whoever you are. Uh, so decent, yeah, decent amount of setup on this one. Uh, okay, do it. Witchwood Forest, uh, pretty small as forest goes, as forests go. Uh, twelve hundred and forty acres designated as being a special or designated. I can't read today or talk. Uh, designated as being of <laughs> uh, special scientific interest, north of the town of Whitney in Oxfordshire, England, and it's an old forest. The woods have a long documented history going back to before ancient Roman times. The name Witchwood derived from an old English name that means wood of the witch or wishy, uh, which were an Anglo-Saxon tribe who moved into the forest over a thousand years ago. So perhaps the land's original settlers. For hundreds of years, Witchwood was a royal hunting ground for the English monarchy. The men in charge of maintaining the forest were called the Keepers of Witchwood. And they were responsible for protecting the forest with the assistance of under-foresters, riding foresters, and walking foresters. Uh, they and the verderers, judicial officers in charge of the king's forest, had a whole group of people. This is very serious mm-hmm. forest watching. Yes, very serious forest watching. Uh, they could try offenders who committed crimes in the woods. They're, they're kind of like today's park rangers. Mm-hmm, with more authoritarian power, more authority. I'm sure, yeah. Today, there is uh, no more hunting. Most of the forest is public access with a long hiking trail for any visitors who might want to go exploring. 
and maybe not surprising for an area with such a long history of human use, the mysterious forest has ac- uh, accumulated quite the share of paranormal encounter stories over the years. One of the most commonly reported phenomena visitors have claimed to experience is seen and sometimes even being touched by disembodied hands reaching out from the darkness. Others have reported seeing a horse-drawn cart carrying a couple with two sobbing children. That's the one that would probably creep me out the most. Yeah. I don't like the ghost children crying in the back of a cart. Uh, The most famed ghost, that of Lady Amy Dudley. Amy was the wife of Robert Dudley, the Earl of Leicester. And at the age of 28, she died of a broken neck. On September 8th, 1560, servants found Lady Dudley's lifeless body at the foot of the stairs in her home at Cumner, uh, or Cumner, Oxfordshire. The coroner's report concluded she left a certain chamber and fell precipitously down the stairs. Amy suffered two serious head wounds during the fall and also, of course, that broken neck. She was dead by the time her body made it to the bottom of the stairs. Coroner's jury reported the aforesaid lady Amy in the manner and the form aforesaid by misfortune came to her death and not otherwise. So, fancy way. (laughs) Fancy way of, uh, you know, saying that she had an unfortunate death. Got it. I hope the Um, the story's written in American English. It it is. It is. Unfortunate death, but not, uh, they didn't think foul play was uh, uh, responsible. Got it. what I take from that. Robert Dudley, away on business, informed of his wife's death the following day, called for an inquest into the cause of her death. Coroner's jury determined, you know, the fall was accidental. However, there are many theories surrounding Lady Amy's death regarding, regarding her being murdered, and most of them revolve around Robert Dudley hiring someone to have his wife killed so that he could inherit and control her family's fortune. Hmm. And if that's true, his plan didn't work out too well for him. Soon after she died, Amy's spirit is said to have confronted her husband while he was hunting in Witchwood Forest, and that she told him he would die in 10 days. And then that's exactly what he did. The Earl, according to the legend, mysteriously fell ill and died exactly 10 days after his strange spectral encounter. And now the legend of Witchwood claims that anyone who encounters Lady Dudley, who sees her, will be also cursed to die. The following supposed modern encounter tale is about two forestry workers who supposedly got a much closer encounter with this legend than they ever wanted to. Time now for the tale of Lady Dudley's Curse. Oh, come on, Louise. You know you want to hear it, her co-worker Nathaniel teased. No, no, I really don't. Louise, don't be a spoil sport. It's tradition, he continued. And then another co-worker, Angelo, called out from across the staff meeting room. Come on, Louise. It's best to know what monsters you might run into in the dark woods, isn't it? At least then you'll have some small chance for escape should they come for you. Then Mark, another co-worker, called out uh, as if he were a ghost. Louise, I'm waiting for you. Louise rolled her eyes, gave them a little laugh. No ghost stories, she said. She smiled, but she didn't really want to hear any ghost stories. Louise had just been hired a few weeks ago by the UK's Forestry Commission and their Forest Research Department. Her office happened to be full of men, very different from her previous job. The constant jokes and occasional pranks sometimes grated on her nerves. It was like working with a bunch of 12-year-olds. But she told herself at least it kept work interesting. And they weren't mean-spirited, just immature. She'd applied for the position with the Forestry Commission because she needed a change from the monotony of her previous research lab. Now she sometimes wished for a bit more boredom. Since day one, her co-workers have been trying to talk her into listening to their tale of Lady Dudley, the spirit that allegedly haunted Witchwood Forest, an area they were currently responsible for managing. And today of all days, Louise was assigned with Nathaniel to go out and inspect a zone inside of this forest. Great, she thought. Nathaniel was the biggest prankster of them all. When their morning meeting and review were, uh, was over, it was time for her to head out into the forest with Nathaniel. Ready, old friend, he asked, giving her a sly grin. I suppose so, Louise said with a tense smile. I'll drive. 
The two then worked together to pack up all their equipment, loaded themselves into a forestry commission truck. Just after 9 a.m., they began the long drive to Witchwood Forest. The zone they were assigned to inspect was off the public trails, deep into the woods, as deep as you could get in a small forest like this. They needed to use their GPS to get the exact coordinates and potentially leave trail markers along the way so they didn't get lost. Louise drove silently, contemplating the day's work or research and soil sample gathering ahead of her. Nathaniel, or sorry, work of research and soil sample gathering ahead of her. Nathaniel, she asked after a long silence, Hmm? Tell me honestly, what's all the fuss about this Witchwood store you keep going on about? He smiled and almost shouted, I knew it! You are interested, aren't you? I suppose a little, Louise admitted. You sure you want me to tell it to you, he asked, clearly wanting to tell her. She thought about it, having to hear scary stories, not something she'd ever thought of when she accepted her position with the Forestry Commission. Louise hated horror. She lived alone, had always been a bit of an anxious, tightly wound person. She already had difficulty sleeping at night. But after so many weeks of being teased, she was now genuinely curious about this particular story. Also, she wanted her colleagues to not only respect her, but like her. She didn't want to be seen as aloof or standoffish. It would make the long drives out to locations awkward. If hearing a silly story was the way to be part of the cool kids club, the team, then fine. She'd listen. Tell me the story, she said. But you have to promise, no more pestering me to go along with you and the other silly jokes. I promise, Louise, we just want you to feel welcome at the office. Louise smiled at that. Very well, then. Tell me the story. Nathaniel began the infamous story of Lady Amy Dudley's short life, all the lore and intrigue surrounding her mysterious death. Now, Nathaniel put on his best ominous voice, she wanders Witchwood Forest, killing her husband didn't satisfy her thirst for revenge, and she searches for more victims. Anyone who goes off the path into the darker, more heavily wooded areas could possibly fall prey to Lady Dudley. Those that see her spirit are cursed to die in ten days. If she doesn't strike them down then and there. That's it? Louise thought to herself after a pause. She was expecting something far more terrifying than this kind of boring blend of history and horror. Has anyone actually ever seen the ghost of Lady Dudley? Louise asked. No one has ever lived to tell the tale, said Nathaniel. Rumor has it that some of the bodies were found in the, that have been found in the forest over the centuries were her victims. Now Louise actually laughed. Oh, come on, Nathaniel. That's the most ridiculous story I've ever heard. I've read children's tales more frightening. Nathaniel, a perpetual good sport, laughed along with her. I never said I believed any of it. Who knows? There are some things that remain a mystery. Still thinking about how much she'd worried about such a silly story, Louise was now finally approaching the edge of the forest with Nathaniel. She drove their truck along a hiking trail into the middle of the forest, where the woods were the thickest. They wouldn't be able to take the vehicle off-road into their assigned zone. The brush was just too thick. They'd have to make a short hike to get, their, to get to their destination. Louise debated if she should take any trail markers or not. She decided yes, better safe than sorry. Sometimes technology glitched, but colorful little flags to guide your way never failed. Nathaniel smirked when he saw her grab the markers, as if calling her a rookie with only his facial expressions. Louise just rolled her eyes. Uh, she'd be sure to remind him of his smirk if they ended up needing them. The two made the hike mostly in silence. Louise admired the tall trees looming above her as they walked. It was beautiful. She wondered what the forest must have uh, been like in all its previous glory, before centuries of deforestation whittled it down to almost nothing. This was what she loved about her new job. She had to go out in nature almost daily, surrounded by beautiful natural features, and she enjoyed knowing that her con conservation work helped keep places like Witchwood Forest alive. Louise and Nathaniel then got to their work, dividing the zone into halves, into halves before working out, uh, before working 
out to oh out to in collecting samples and making observations. The zone was relatively small, and Louise could see Nathaniel working over on his side the whole time. It was a nice, warm, quiet day. There was no breeze, and the small animals weren't scurrying about like usual. Louise and Nathaniel worked for nearly an hour, slowly making their way towards each other. Louise was deeply concentrated uh, on collecting samples and taking notes in her field book when an unexpected and strange noise captured attention. My lord, a woman's quiet voice carried to the air. Are you here? Louise's head snapped up. Is that? Nathaniel gave her a questioning look. She nodded. This was another surprisingly common problem Louise never expected to face in her job as a research scientist. Dealing with wandering teens, people camping illegally, and occasionally criminals who like to hide out in wooded areas. She gestured at Nathaniel to take over. He had a louder, more commanding voice than her. Excuse me! He shouted. Who's there? We're from the Forestry Commission. We're going to need you to show us your credentials and leave this area immediately. No response. Normally, one of a few things would then happen after he called out a warning like this. Uh, they'd either hear the rustling of leaves and twigs as someone ran away, or a sheepish teen couple might approach them, apologizing, asking if they'd let the issue go if they promised to leave and never come back, or they'd make contact with other Forestry Commission workers. This time, at least a full minute of silence now passed. Robert! A sing-song voice carried towards them much closer now. Where are you, my love? The way the woman spoke gave Louise chills, a sweet voice, but it felt like there was a threatening undertone. Her voice sounded close, too, but Louise couldn't see anyone, couldn't hear anyone's footsteps walking through the forest. Lord Dudley, please, I must speak with you urgently. Nathaniel sucked in a sharp breath. He turned to look at Louise with a horrified expression of realization on his face. It's her, he whispered. So quietly, she almost didn't hear him. Oh, not this again, she thought to herself. Louise laughed. Seriously? Is this some sort of prank? Did you arrange for some woman to come out here and scare me? Louise. His eyes were wide, terrified. This isn't a joke. Nathaniel, she said, growing impatient. Stop this. This is unprofessional. We're supposed to be working. Whoever's out there, she raised her voice so the prankster could hear her now, should come out now. Be quiet, Nathaniel hissed at her. My love, is that you? The woman's voice was much closer now. Louise scanned the area around them. There was nothing. She didn't want to believe any of this, but it did seem like Nathaniel was actually sincere. He seemed scared. She'd never seen him scared yet. Even if it wasn't some strange spirit, there was the possibility that this woman could be dangerous. Maybe better to get back to the truck and report this to the police. Louise whispered, What should we do? Do you have all your materials with you? She nodded, still scanning the forest for this mysterious woman. We're going to turn around and walk as quietly as we can back to the truck. Do not look behind you. Nathaniel led the way, closely following Louise's trail markers. They'd only made it a few paces when Louise's boots snapped loudly on a twig. She winced and froze. I hear you, the woman sang in a high-pitched voice. Keep walking, Nathaniel whispered. They made it a few more paces when Louise heard the distinct sound of a third person's footsteps directly right behind, directly behind her. Louise felt a hand reach out and firmly grip the back of her arm. She was terrified but oddly relieved at the same time, at least initially. This was a real person, not some ethereal ghost. Let go of me, now, she said. Why do you walk away? I only want to talk. The woman's voice sounded so heartbreakingly disappointed, so innocent, so innocent. Louise began to turn around and face her. As if Nathaniel could sense her thoughts, he had ordered her. Do, do not turn around! Do not listen to him, the woman said, so close now. Louise could feel her face just a few inches behind her. Louise felt the woman tugging on her arm, trying to turn her around. She stood firm. Nathaniel, she's grabbing me, Louise's voice shook. A voice inside of her told her this woman was not some woman grabbing her. No living woman, at least. She felt panic rising inside of her. What if the legends were true? Don't look, no matter what, she thought to herself. Nathaniel echoed her thoughts, saying, Close your eyes! Uh, try, I'll try to think of something. 
Turn around, the woman commanded. The woman now spun her around to face her. Louise snapped her eyes shut, but not before she saw the edge of a wispy white dress. Why do you hide your eyes from me? Her grip tightened in Louise's arm, fingernails digging in. Let me, let me go. Instead of assertive, Louise's voice sounded weak and terrified. Open your eyes. The woman's voice was harsh, demanding. Let her go, Nathaniel shouted. Louise had no clue if he turned around or not. She was too terrified to open her eyes. The woman tightened her grip even more. Louise felt the sting of long fingernails digging further into her flesh. Look at me. No. Look at me! Look at me! She shrieked into Louise's ears. No! Louise sobbed. She grabbed Louise by both arms. Look at me! She screamed again, shaking her roughly. Louise was suddenly jerked backwards then by a pair of strong hands, Nathaniel's. He grabbed her arm, pulling her along with him. Keep your eyes closed, he shouted as he pulled her along, Louise blindly running with him. They stumbled back towards the safety of the truck. Come back! Louise heard the woman cry after them. She could hear anguish in her voice. Come back! Come back! Her cries grew louder and louder. But thank God she wasn't following them. Louise now sawed with relief and dared to open her eyes. She and Nathaniel had been running blindly, reaching out their hands to try and feel trail markers as guides. It had somehow worked, and now she could see the truck off in the distance. The side of the truck made her run faster. Nathaniel had the keys in his pocket, jumped in and turned the truck on, pulling away as Louise was still shutting the door. They sat in silence, the sounds of their heavy breathing filling the cab of the truck. Only when they were over halfway back to their office did Nathaniel slow down and pull over. Louise looked down at her arm. There were fingernail marks gouged into her skin. Some blood dripped from the wounds. Oh my God, Nathaniel gasped, reaching into the center console for a first aid kit. He wrapped a bandage around her wound. What just happened? Louise asked. We have to call the police and report this. I mean, she's dangerous. We have to... We can't tell anyone. They'll never believe us. Nathaniel, we have to report this. And what will we say? That we saw the ghost of Lady Dudley? That she tried to kill us? That's rich. We'll sound insane. Amy hesitated. Is that, is that really what it was? I can't think of any other explanation. The way he answered seemed like he was set in his decision. And she agreed. What else could explain what just happened? They decided not to report the incident. They didn't want to be questioned by their employer, be ordered to undergo some sort of psychiatric evaluation or anything. Did you see her? Louise suddenly asked Nathaniel. He said no, but he stumbled a bit when he said it. And in that mo moment, she knew that he had seen her. And she knew he was worried about the legend. And so was she. She told herself that just because part of the legend was true, that didn't mean that all of it needed to be true. And they decided to never speak of that day again. That was a lot easier for Nathaniel to do than it was for Louise because he died suddenly of a heart attack ten days later. His death, along with four scars on Louise's arm, the perfect crescent shape of fingernails, confirmed to Louise that the legend of Lady Dudley was much more than legend. Amy's spirit was real, and to see it meant death. Yee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My God. Sorry, sorry, I forgot to read uh, during that uh, story. <laughs> That's so weird when your brain, or at least uh, when my brain does that. I'm like, come on, like all the words. I know, you know every word that's in front of you. Yep, I can see them there. And my mouth is like, no, we're going to twist this one. We're going to flip this one with that one. My most favorite yeah. was how Lady Dudley went from being English to Australian a few times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you know, it's so, it's so fun. Like in order to get, I am jealous of people who really can quickly go in and out of uh, accents, but I don't really practice them that much, though, either. I can't do it at all. If I practice a lot, but then I don't know. Nope. It, no, probably not. Probably not. Probably There's no time. There's no time. It's nope. All the time is spent on stories. Well, even still, I think, like, do some people have an ear for language and some people don't? And True. The kids and I, like, love it when we're with you and we're mm -hmm. in some Spanish-speaking country. <laughs> 
<laughs> how I uh, start to kind of like bend how I talk. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Even your English gets like some weird little... Yeah. God, it is so funny. And it's so subconscious. Like, I don't, I, I, I'm not trying to do it. I don't know where that comes from. Like, do you like potatoes? It's like, <laughs> it's like, what is he doing right now? <laughs> yeah, if I was in... Like if I was in England for a long time, I think I would I would get it. I don't know that I would pick up the accent, but I think I would pick up the cadence mm-hmm. and the you know colloquialisms. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah it's, it is funny. You can watch these accent videos, and, and again, I can I'll do it, and it will stick into my head for a little bit, but it mm-hmm. doesn't it doesn't stay. Well, no, because it's not second nature. Yeah, and it doesn't last for like for every word. Mm-hmm. But there are these little tricks. Like I remember one for um, Australian mm-hmm. was to lilt up. Like, um, good eye, mate. Like, you just kind of go uh, up at the end. Like, mm-hmm. um, I can't think of any, like, their um, lingo. Mm-hmm. But it's like... Well, I uh, can think of something, but we shouldn't say it here. Are you going to be on the telly? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, like, but it's like, it's supposed to kind of go up. And again, I'm not fucking using the right words. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, again, it's a gift that does, does not one of mine. Well, I was dying over here laughing. I have, a, I have a rogue hair in my mouth. I got it. Okay. Do you have pictures? Uh, I do have some pictures. Okay. So this first one is a, a foggy day in Witchwood Forest. Hmm. So, you know, I mean, foggy woods. Yep. They always look a little spooky. Uh-huh. Uh, and then this next one, uh, another uh, part of this little forest. Couldn't find any good aerial view like I wanted. So green. I know. The British Isles, I was just, it's fresh in my brain because of Time Suck uh, recently on the Celtic mythology. But mm-hmm. like digging into Ireland, it's just so green. So lush. Of, mm-hmm, so lush because of the um, cloud cover mm-hmm. and uh, so many days of rain and just the soil over there. It's like really, really green. Mm-hmm. Uh, next one is an oil painting of Lady Dudley. Dead oh. at the bottom of the stairs. That's weird that they did a oil painting of her death. I know. There's a lot of those, actually. Uh, historical paintings of some famous death. But, it, yeah, it's very macabre just to paint the moment of someone's death. Uh, please don't do that when I die. That's oh, so weird. So uh, weird. And then here's a old portrait of Lady Dudley. Well, she was pretty. Good yeah. bone structure. Mm-hmm. I feel, I feel like with the old portraits, I wonder, not that they're not accurate, but they're paying somebody a lot of money for uh, posterity to make them look good. I'm, I'm guessing but they, they didn't have Photoshop. No, they didn't have Photoshop, but they're painting it. They're they're gonna like they're gonna they're gonna err on the side of attractiveness. Yeah, I think it's still gonna be somewhat accurate. Yeah. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Uh, well, I when you said that her husband killed her because he wanted her money yeah. and then she, you know, proceeded to haunt him. I was like, yeah, if you kill me, I will haunt you. That's one of the notes you took? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> I will kill, I will haunt you and I will kill if you. If I killed you? Yeah. And you'll kill me? Yeah. All right. That's what she did and I thought it was a great solution. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, and I wonder like, okay, if this is not true, if this is just an old legend, um, I can see this fantasy being very appealing for a lot of people. Like wanting to believe this particular narrative of mm-hmm. a ghost story from because of exactly what you're saying, mm-hmm. just that thought of like, well, if you kill me, I'll get I'm gonna you. I'm gonna come back. Not only haunt you, but I'll kill you back. I know it's great. <laughs> and then, uh, how weird would it have been if like if then she comes like so she comes back, she kills him, but then what if then he comes back Ooh. and now he's mad at her, and then now in her like situ- ghost situation on Earth, he's they're constantly just trying to kill each other. Now it's like a wily e. coyote roadrunner situation in ghost form. Okay. It could be interesting. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say, like, and then he would come back and, like, he would kill one of her former lovers. Oh, they start taking other people uh-huh, out. Uh-huh. Like a weird uh, score like, situation. Oh, yeah? <laughs> you got my mom? Well, I got your dad. 
Like some weird, bizarre that feels back like and you, forth. That feels like that could be some fun, like, uh, comedy horror mashup. <laughs> sure. Like uh, these two ghosts, former couple who just, uh, you know, so mad at each other and they're taking out their frustrations on the living around them that happen to be each person's friends and family mm-hmm. and stuff. Could be pretty right. funny. Uh, I made this note since you were having trouble with your words. And I, <laughs> yes. well, I was also at the beginning, what was I trying to say? Like, uh, that the... Forced people have more authority, but then I said they were authoritarians, which is, and then I like, right. corrected myself. I swear to God, that's a thing from when I had COVID. Like my brain. Oh, the brain fog? It Well, it just does a different thing now. And I've never felt completely okay again. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, I know what I want to say. Right. And when I go to speak, something else comes out and my brain's like, why'd you say that? And then I correct it. But it takes a second for it all to kind of catch up and be in line. I, I felt that after, and, and then now I'm in a situation where I'm like, yes, I do this. But now I'm like, do I think I'm doing it because Mm -hmm. I have like some weird latent COVID situation? Or was I always doing it Mm. and then I just started blaming it? (laughs) Like like this weird thing where I was like, well, yeah, before I was a complete genius who never made verbal errors. I was. And uh, my memory was perfect. Everything was great. And then I got this, uh, you know, virus. And then, well, now, you know, I'm working with a half brain. I mean, that's kind of how I feel. (laughs) I don't think I have a half brain, but it just, I don't fire on all cylinders. Sorry, I just tried to sneak that in there. <laughs> uh, I just, it's like my reactions are a little bit slower. I'm not as quick witted. Mm. Or, I don't know, late 30s. Is that what happens? I mean, you're significantly older than me. So, like, you could tell me. Significantly <laughs> Um <laughs> Is this what happens as you, like, reach the over the hill status? Like, it's <laughs> not that old. I do your it. wits fade? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Mm. I mean, eventually. Yeah, well, this is 38, folks. Oh, man. It's all downhill. I I think a lot of it is you get busier with different parts of life that don't like when you're young and busting you know balls with friends. Yeah, it's like you have more time for that, and then you get like more responsibilities, and then mm-hmm. you're doing things. Because when you see like I, it's just knowing a lot of comics, mm-hmm. I know comics who are in their sixties mm-hmm. who are very quick witted and more like juvenile in some ways than a lot of like 30, 30 year olds mm-hmm. because they they didn't have kids, mm. they kind of you know chose a, a lifestyle that didn't give them a lot of responsibility mm-hmm. and it's interesting just like longitudinal wise to see like who they are now and like no nah, they don't seem any slower they don't right. seem mentally any older they just they just never went through the same progressions most people go where you know their kids suck their fucking souls out of them so what you're saying is those people who are like in their 60s yeah. maybe like married or not married but like definitely no kids like <laughs> they're just happier and have better lives and their brains are in a better shape than ours exactly Dang. <laughs> no, no, different kind of happiness. <laughs> they seem pretty happy, though. They, they seem, seem all right. Yeah, we seem, we're pretty happy, though. Okay. They're, they're not as tired. Uh, are, you, are you ready to leave the uh, the woods of England and uh, head to a cemetery in Oregon? Okay. Before we move on to more outdoor scares, we need to take a quick in-between story sponsor break. Please take advantage of these sponsor deals. Use our codes and landing pages so you can save money, and we continue to get sponsored. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. 
I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Thanks to Liz. Thanks for listening to our sponsor deals. Oh, it's still here. Oh boy. Thank you, Liz. Thank you. Thank you, Lizards. (laughs) Creeps and beavers. Now for our second story. Decent amount of setup here. I say if you mess it up, you you just go with it. Just keep, don't even correct myself. Don't even correct yourself. Just right. plow through. I'm and a, I'll, I'll keep track over here. Keep like score. It'll be so fun. Okay. From a random post on a haunted stories forum, Mount David in Cottage Grove, Oregon is a local treasure loved by residents for being a beautiful piece of nature in the middle of town. But true locals know to leave before dark. Why would locals fear this area just outside of such a pleasant and charming little Southern Oregon town of around 10,000 people? Mount David in Cottage Grove is a common spot for hiking, picnicking and enjoying nature. The Kalapuya, the original people in the area, believed it was a sacred spot. One of their creation stories describes a world of stone. A woman called Lelu came down from a stone mountain carrying two babies. She gave her children to a mother wolf to watch over them while she surveyed the world. And she moved around. The world turned green with grass, trees, and water. Mount David is believed to be the place Lelu first appeared. Mount David is also not really much of a mountain. At its highest point, it's only 881 feet tall, more of a hill. Not to be confused with Mount David Douglas in Oregon, which rises to over 6,000 feet. This little mountain is notable mostly for having a little town wrap around most of its base. 
and for being supposedly haunted. The landmark is named after the first American settlers who lived on it. In the 19th century, John McFarlane was returning home to Missouri after failing to make his fortune in the California gold rush. In 1850, Congress had passed the Oregon Donation Land Act, and McFarlane was able to claim up to 640 acres of land out west. He went ahead and made two claims, one for himself, one for his cousin James. John knew the exact spot he wanted. He returned to Missouri, fetched his cousin, the men quickly returned to Oregon, as quick as you could back then, and settled their claims on the hill. The hill was then officially renamed or named McFarland's Butte, which is how it shows up in map searches today. But in time, settlers began to call it the hill. The land stayed with the McFarlands for several generations and eventually became known as Mount David, named after David Green McFarland, who inherited the land when cousins John and James died in the 1880s. Resting atop Mount David is the McFarland Family Cemetery. The earliest burial dates to 1862, the most recent from 2012. Although the area is no longer owned by the McFarland family, it is now maintained by the Cottage Grove Historical Society, it seems that at least one of the McFarlands still is not ready to give up their claim on the land. For over a hundred years, there have been claims of a male spirit spotted in or around the McFarland Cemetery. When various wanderers have happened to stay on Mount David after sunset, the man's spirit has chased many of them away. The following story is a claim of one of these encounters. Time now for the tale of The Land Still Belongs to Me. Slow down, Kira shouted at Brian, who was several paces ahead of her up on the hill. Come on, Kai, we only have a few minutes before the sunset starts. He stopped impatiently tapping his foot as Kira raced after him. She tried her best to control her annoyance. Brian had taken the time to plan a sunset picnic for them to finish off their weekend. They were visiting his family in Cottage Grove, and this was their first time being alone all weekend. Kira reminded herself that even though she wasn't a big fan of hiking, she did appreciate Brian's romantic gesture. They eventually made it to the top of the hill, a beautiful lookout spot that Brian's family told them about earlier that day. Although she was sweating out of breath, Kira felt proud of herself as she looked out over the town. Brian felt proud of himself, too. The picnic was a success. The two watched a beautiful sunset color the sky with reds, pinks, and golds. It was the most romantic date they'd had in a while. As they watched the last of the sunset, Kira was content to keep sitting on their blanket, but Brian had a hard time sitting still. He was intensely curious about what some stairs near them might lead to. What do you think is up those stairs? He asked. Nearby were a set of stairs built into the hill with what looked like old railroad ties, leading up to a wooded area. No idea, probably just more of the hill. Let's go look around, he proposed. His eyes lighten up a bit. It'll be fun. Ah, it's getting dark. Didn't your parents say we should head home after sunset? Something about how we might get in trouble for trespassing? It's fine, Kai. I'm almost positive this is public land. Or a trust owns it or something. We're not in anyone's yard or anything. Come on, let's just go check it out. Kira sighed. Just for a few minutes, okay? I was thinking I heard your parents say something about mountain lions. Brian shook his head and ignored her. Took off racing to the stairs. Kira looked anxiously at the sun sinking lower into the sky. It was almost dark and their car was at the bottom of the hill, at least 20 minutes away if not more. Brian's parents were pretty insistent that they shouldn't be on the trail after sunset. They said it could be dangerous, but didn't really elaborate on why. They'd been rushing out to dinner with Brian's grandparents at the time. Kira wished she'd taken the time to ask them more questions. Kira jogged after Brian, trying not to trip on any of the stairs. Last thing she needed was to fall and go rolling down the grassy hillside. Beyond the embarrassment, she could seriously injure herself. Brian waited for her at the top of the stairs, hand outstretched. In his other hand was his phone. The flashlight turned on high. Kira turned on her own flashlight. While Brian scanned the, scanned the woods in front of them, she searched the ground for any tripping hazards. They continually, caref uh, they continued carefully into the woods, leaving the open sky behind. Kara couldn't help but feel like this was a bad idea. 
Oddly, she was reminded of the childhood tale of Sleepy Hollow, where the unsuspecting Ichabod Crane walks through the woods only to be chased by the monstrous headless horseman. Look, there's something over there, Brian pulled her deeper into the woods. When they came, What they came upon sent a chill down Kira's spine. It was a graveyard, a small one, but still a graveyard. Her thoughts went to all the bodies buried nearby. It was fenced in, but the metal gate was unlocked and Brian opened it and headed inside. This is so cool, he said with glee. Kira was not as excited. She felt extremely wary of this place. Her gut was telling her that something was off. Brian wandered around inspecting every headstone and reading all the names out loud of the McFarlands that once lived in this land. Kira barely heard him. She scanned around the woods, waiting for something to pop out at them. She felt like she was on the set of a horror movie, but not one that she'd agreed to participate in. Brian, we should leave. It's getting really dark. Okay, he said, disappointed. Just one more minute. Isn't this neat? I totally forgot about hearing about this place. Such a cool monument in the middle of town. I guess so, she responded. Hey! Gruff male voice shouted from the distance, interrupting their conversation. Kira froze. She saw Brian tense up, taking a step backwards closer to her. Turn your light off, Brian hissed at Kira. They stood in complete darkness now. Time had gotten away from them, and they missed the last bit of daylight while exploring the graveyard. They watched as a flame slowly came towards him, growing bigger and bigger. Kira squinted, trying to see into the darkness. Should we run? Kira whispered. Brian hesitated. No, it's probably a police officer, a security guard, or someone in charge of the land. We don't want them to think we're doing anything suspicious. We can explain ourselves and leave after we talk to them. Kira forced herself to relax. Brian seemed calm enough, so everything was fine, right? Kira could now see a man holding a lantern. He was tall, burly with a long beard. He looked strange. He had on old clothes, almost like he was dressed up in a historical costume. She wondered if he was some sort of lumberjack. In his other hand, he held a rifle. Kira was instantly terrified. Who was this man? He didn't have on any kind of police or park ranger uniform. Was he just some random guy wandering around with a gun? Some maniac? The man stopped about 50 feet away from them. He kept his gun lowered at his side. Excuse us, sir, Brian called out, waving his hand in greeting. We were just leaving. We wanted to take a look around and time got away from us. Sorry about that. We're leaving now. Instead of answering, the man walked closer. Kira's heart pounded with each of his steps. She shifted closer behind Brian, hoping she could disappear. The man was so strange looking. His eyes were a piercing blue, almost glowing in the darkness. His skin had an odd hue to it, gray and sickly. He didn't smile, didn't make any acknowledgement that he'd heard them. He didn't look friendly at all. He looked angry. Before she knew it, he was just ten feet away. What are you doing on my land? His deep, gravelly voice carried over to them. Although he had a lantern, most of his face was cast in shadows, making him look scarier. He kept his gun down, moved his finger closer to the trigger. Brian shifted backwards. Sorry, sir. Like I said, we were just leaving. We didn't mean to make any trouble. Trespassing's a crime. Are you trying to steal from me? No, we we were just looking around. We'll we'll go now. Kira didn't want to turn her back on this guy. She could tell Brian felt the same from the way he was slowly trying to take steps backwards. Silently, the man put down his lantern and raised his rifle, pointing it right at Brian with his finger on the trigger. Whoa, man! Brian put his hands up. Calm down! We just didn't see any, no trespassing signs. Let us leave, all right? We're not hurting anything. You are trespassing on my land. I have to shoot you. His voice took on a tone of menace. It's my right to defend my property. This was bad. This was really bad. Things had gotten out of hand so quickly. Kai, Brian whispered, taking a step back. Run! He grabbed her arm, pulling her with him as he sprinted out of the woods. Kira, not a fast runner, but fear allowed her to keep up with Brian. She could hear the man chasing after them, his footsteps pounding on the ground. She could hear his heavy breathing behind her, getting closer and closer. Kira's foot caught on a large rock. She fell forward, the impact knocking the wind out of her as she rolled a few times. Brian's hand was quick to grab her arm and jerk her up. Come on! Wincing at the pain in her ankle. 
Kira continued running, throwing a glance over her shoulder here and there. She almost fell again from shock. The man that was right behind them just a moment ago now was gone, just like he disappeared into thin air. She and Brian used their lights on their phones to scan the area around them. They saw no one else, heard nothing. Still spooked, they used their phones to now light the path in front of them as they ran down the hill, all the way back to their car. It had taken them about 30 minutes to get up the hill, and then they made it back in what felt like about 10, maybe less. Kara's lungs were burning with exertion by the time she could see the car just up ahead, but she still couldn't slow down. Or didn't slow down. Brian pulled the keys out of his pocket as he ran, unlocking the car as fast as he could. They both jumped in, not even bothering to put on their seatbelts as Brian cranked the engine and stepped on the gas. Both silently wondered if the man might appear at any second. What if they saw him in the rearview mirror? What if he suddenly stood in front of the car? Kara looked back as Brian sped away. She swore she saw the faintest glow of a lantern off in the hills, but it flickered away a moment later. Neither one of them spoke, the only sound in the car, their heavy breathing. A half mile or so away, Brian silently reached over and squeezed her hand. He was shaking. They reached his parents' house a few minutes later. Brian sped up the driveway, slamming on the brakes and parking the car. He and Kira raced up to the porch. Whoa, whoa, what's going on? Why are you in such a rush? Kira and Brian jumped at the unexpected greeting. Brian's grandfather was sitting on the porch, smoking in complete darkness, a habit he'd started many years earlier to avoid getting caught by his wife. Grandpa, Brian started flicking on the outdoor light. You're not going to believe this, but Kira and I were up on the Mount, Mount David looking around when this crazy man just came out of nowhere and started waving a gun at us, telling us to get off his land or he'd shoot us. I'm not sure what to do. We were really on... Oh my God. I need to get new fucking glasses. That is the problem. I cannot see these words very well. Uh, were we really on private property? Should we file a police report? I want to, but he just... I don't know. He also just vanished. This probably all sounds so crazy. Instead of concern, Brian's grandfather smiled, a huge grin lighting up his face. The next moment, he began laughing, going from a chuckle to full-on hysterics, tears streaming from his eyes. Karen Brian watched him with expressions of irritated disbelief. How could this be funny? They were just almost murdered. Once he'd calmed down enough to speak, Brian's grandpa stood up and waved them inside. Come in. I've got a story for you about a day many years ago when I, too, met the ghosts of Mount David Cemetery. Oh, my gosh. It is. I've been avoiding, like, when my glasses are off, things are so blurry. Yeah. And I was just talking to, I had my physical this morning. Yeah. And we were just talking to Dr. Emery about, like, how things are going. And I was like, well, I definitely need to get new glasses. And now I'm just, like, feeling it on the stories. It's like... I have to focus so hard just to have just to see the words. Well, that's not good because that's eye strain. You're making your vision worse. True, true, exactly. And I've been it's been very busy the last few weeks, so I've been like putting in crazy hours well, on and, the computer. Yeah, well, and the eye doctor will be like you know several weeks out, so you should call. I know. Now I know. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a note right on, on my your hand. hand. Exactly. You uh, know you know what I have on my hand? What do you have? A note. You know what my note is? What hotel crystals? Because I'm traveling this week. <laughs> Uh, I don't want to forget my hotel okay. protection. Well, I am putting get new. Gla- I've been thinking about it for months. I know. Like I've definitely noticed it. Well, and those don't even fit your head right. I know. I know. I've, these ones are not quite the right. So I'm going to get good. They're, they're too small this way mm-hmm. and they're too short this way. I yep. never understood why you got those ones. I don't know. They're like little kid glasses. <laughs> I'm going to get, get grown up glasses. Big boy. I'm going to get big boy glasses and they are going to have the right prescription mm-hmm. and it's going to be a new world again. And and then that will is that the reason why you have mush mouth? Uh, no. Oh no. Some today I was trying to it's give the you reason. Out. No, to, no mush mouth is real. But today I felt fine, like speaking wise in general. You just couldn't see. But, but it's just like I had to focus so hard, and I kept thinking like I should look over at Lindsay like I normally do. But I'm like it took every ounce of focus I had just to read the stories that I had worked on. Well, that's okay. You did it. <laughs> I did, yeah, you yeah, did I, it. I, but, I won't even tell I won't, you how many errors you oh, had. I know. I saw you making notes over there. How many? 
Well, I counted 11. There might have been 12. Yeah, there's probably at least 12. But uh, you know what? Okay. that was Now this was the signal that I need to actually make the appointment. Yes. Thank you, everyone, for letting Dan know he needs new glasses. Every, other people have written in? Well, no, I'm just oh. saying, like, now they're going to let us know. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> true, true. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying thank you in advance, you know? Thank you for letting us do this show as a way for Dan to learn that he needs new glasses. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, that, that story. Okay, so you said in 2012 there was an, a, another burial. Was that a descendant of the McFarland family? Yeah, I, I, I assume so. I assume so, okay. There was very, oh, yeah, I have a few pictures. There was very, um, there was... A fair amount written about this, but it was hard to find photos. I had to watch some YouTube uh, videos, and this first picture is just a screenshot okay. from the YouTube video, so we can see the gates of the cemetery here. Oh, cool! Oh, so, that's yeah. what—that's not what I was picturing. So, okay, that helps. Mm-hmm. Because they have that uh, historical society clearly has kind of done some uh, preservation work yeah. on that cemetery. But I would imagine if yeah, if 2012 is the most recent that they're still allowing descendants of the McFarlands to be buried there. I would think so. Yeah, it wouldn't just be some random Joe Schmo. No, no, mm-hmm. I don't think so. Maybe that's the last one. Like well, the last descendant. Oh, maybe. Maybe yeah, maybe there's not gonna be any more. I don't know. And then I and then I wish I could find like I tried to find an aerial shot. I had to basically just use like Google Maps oh. and everything to like to to prove this place is real. This is like a what is it, a top topographical topic I can't remember how to say anything right now. Topography? It's topography, but when you're using it as an adjective. Topographical. 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 Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Joe. Uh, topographical map. You can see like that big green kind of uh, triangle at the bottom to us is where that Mount David is. And then the town kind of wraps around it. I, I believe. And, this, and then there's one more picture. Yeah, there's. Yeah, we can just fly through these. They're not the best pictures. But you can see there, that little red dot, mm-hmm. that's near the cemetery. I Th- see. That's the top. That's the McFarland Butte. I'm looking at the Hidden Valley Golf Course. Yep, and the town's to the, to the right there. But it just kind of wrap around most see, of that butte. I see the Goodwill retail store and donation center. <laughs> uh-huh. I don't I know see, why those ones came up. I see some Ryan Gifford, PC attorney at law. You know. Yeah. Lots, lots of important lots, things. Lots of very important horror-related information. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in that story, I felt so much like Brian was you and Kira was me. Because you would be like, I would be so happy in this mm-hmm. like sweet moment. Watching the sunset, I'd be so yeah. relaxed, and you would be ants in your pants. Yeah, if there were stairs, like mm-hmm. some some like interesting stairs nearby, it does kind of bring out. Yeah, that would be us. One hundred percent. I'd be like, why? This is fine. We should go. People said we shouldn't be here. It's like when you park somewhere you're not supposed to park. Yeah. For the duration of dinner, and I'm like, no, that makes me so uncomfortable. Someone's gonna come. Your toe's gonna. Your car's gonna get towed, and you'll say, Lindsay. By the time they would, someone would recognize it and call a tow truck and they would actually come. No one's actually, this isn't going to happen. Right. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And it makes me so anxious through all of dinner. Well, the dinner, the parking situation. It's very whole, similar. No, it's very that's, similar. That's different to me. But, but the, the stairs and stuff, absolutely, it just brings out like moments like that, like the little kid in me. Where it's like when I was a little kid, it's like, uh, what are you going to find up there? I mean, as a kid, it's like, there could be treasure up there. There could be uh, some old shack. And then in the shack, there's a loose floorboard. And you lift up that floor and there's a little metal box. And inside that metal box are old gold coins or my something. My brain never worked like that. Oh, my brain. To this day, it, those moments would bring my brain back there where it's like, well, who knows what's up those stairs? Well, I, mean, I think I think it is like the parking lot situation because mm-hmm. you're you're like, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. No, because she was like, oh, oh we're going to yes. get in trouble. How I rationalize it? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, no, it'll be fine. We'll just explain it. It'll be okay. Don't worry about mm-hmm. it. If somebody and, yells at us, we just say, yeah, I didn't see. I didn't know it was private property. Yeah, you're very much a uh, beg for beg for forgiveness rather than ask permission. In certain situations, yes. Most. Okay. I would say right. most. Where I'm like, eek, let's just. 
I, ra- I rationalized it as like risk. What would it be? Ri- it's it's risk, risk versus, versus reward. reward. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, this is something I really want to see. I'm not going to hurt anything. Uh, what are the odds? Kira got hurt. That someone's going to care. Oh, yeah. Well, she fell down. Then she's fine. But she got up. Uh, but, you know, like, what are the odds that someone's going to care? What are they going to do if they care? You know, uh, how bad do I want to see this place? Not that bad. I mean, on, on a low level, like jaywalking is the most obvious example. Like some people won't jaywalk. Kyler. Mm-hmm. Some people are like, nope, but rules are rules. I've never been a rules are rules person. Me either. I'm always like, well, you know, I guess there's a chance I'll get a fine if somebody wants to be a dick, but uh, I'll risk it. And I'm, and I'm so ahead at this point. I've jaywalked, I don't know, tens of thousands of times. Yeah, me too. And I I've never gotten fined. Yeah. I think about that with like speeding, parking in different places. When I was younger and more of a true criminal, I, I rationalized all sorts of stuff. Well, let's not go down that path. I just think yeah. the parking thing, just bring it back to yeah. me and my stress to make mm-hmm. it all about me. Sure. It ruins my dinner because mm. I'm so stressed out that we're going to, because like jaywalking is an immediate, like a police officer's like, hey, here's your ticket. Jaywalk or uh, parking the car illegally and having mm-hmm. the car towed is like a whole freaking ordeal. It's like, oh, great. Now we have to take an Uber to this place where the yeah. car's been towed and they're only open between this, this hour and this hour. And you know who's going to get stuck dealing with it? Me. Yeah, the risk is not worth the reward. Right. Because mm-hmm. you'll be like, oh, shoot, I got to do research for time suck. And I'll be like, okay, great. So I'll deal with this. <laughs> It's valid. It's okay. valid. No, that's fair. No more illegal parking, please. Okay. Well, you know, uh, yeah. I'll... You can do it when you're by yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that I can have a nice, relaxing meal, whatever we're doing. And I, and I don't want people with the wrong idea. I don't, I'm not doing it like in terrible places, not blocking somebody's drive or anything. No, it, and you're not like parking in a handicapped spot. Not anymore. Nope. Uh, I've worked that out. That was a thing. I already got in trouble for it on Isby Dumb. I, I wouldn't do that often, but if there was a, like six, okay. Six handicapped spots are open. What? And nothing else is open, and I'm going to be quick. I would. Do, I used to do that all the time. How dare you? I know. I've I won't already, even use the handicap. People are get mad at me about it. I won't even use the handicap stall in a bathroom unless I'm, like, desperate. Really? Yes. Because hmm. how unfair is that, that, like, if someone who is, like, wheelchair-bound mm-hmm. also has to go so bad, and yeah. I'm just in there like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do. It's not fair. Well, we all got to wait sometimes. Well, you and I usually don't because we fit into all of the stalls. It's true. And usually, I don't know how it works in the men's restroom, mm-hmm. but in the women's restroom, if you have an emergency situation, even if there's a line, you can say, I have an emergency, and all the other women will let you go in front of them. In the men's, the custom is you you can just sit on someone's lap. I knew you were going to take you, it somewhere weird. And you can just uh, uh, double trouble it is what we call it. I, please stop there. <laughs> you, just, you just yell out. No, no, you just say double trouble, and then someone will open their stall. This is the wrong show. Stop. Okay. Okay. If you want to hear more like that, you can listen to Is We Dumb. <laughs> Dan and Joe have long conversations just like that that I don't want to be a part of. Okay. Okay. Are you ready to get back into yeah, horror? I am. Okay. I I gave you Red Layla oh, today. Thank you. Red Layla is my favorite. Yeah. That's I used, cool. I used to think Black Layla was my favorite, mm-hmm. but well, of course, Brown Layla was my favorite because she was the first. She's but, OG. Yeah, but I like Red Layla the best. It's cool, squishy. I know. Whoever makes these. Well, also. Red Valentine's Day. You get it? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. So our, uh, I previewed this earlier. Go ahead. Yes. You can take a sip of water. Uh, I'll I'm make, listening. Well, no, I was just saying I'll make sure that I don't ask you a question so you don't feel trapped. But uh, a couple weeks ago, we had this exorcism story This uh, that you told of this woman. She was exorcised and then she died. Yes. And it's like, you know, up for debate. Was it, was she possessed and exercised right. and that caused the death or was it something else? Mm-hmm. So I just became like obsessed in my hunt for fan stories this week. I'm like, but what happens? Like, what would your life be like 
if you were exercised? What is it like yeah, afterwards? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Afterwards, right. Yeah, like, could you yeah, make... stories usually do stop like, hey, that they were saved and then kind of the end. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think like, what happens when you're dating? You're like, oh yeah, you know, you're learning about each other. You're like, oh, I was exercised. Oh, you like to exercise? No, like I was exercised. I was demonically possessed. Can you, I, I, I would be so stressed. <laughs> I don't know if there would be a next date. Like probably because ah. I'd have a lot of questions. But then after that, I don't know. What if they were great in every other way? How do you know it's really them? Were they truly mm. exercised? Are are they like a tall tale kind of person? Is it going to be for the rest of our lives? That's like, what I would think. Hey, I went on a hike. I was exercised. It's like, okay. But I, I, you judge it with the overall person. If they seem normal in every other way, uh, yeah. normal-ish, you know, like we all are. But that was their one thing. I wouldn't. Okay. So, so, you had, so you were possessed. It would be a fun dinner party story. Like, yeah, go ask Dan about the time he was possessed. Mm-hmm. That would I, I would feel bad like in that situation because there are you know we're pretty open minded about that stuff here we'll entertain a lot of possibilities mm-hmm. but a lot of the world is not like that Ugh, it's so sad and so that is if you're going to be open about it you are immediately unfortunately going to have a lot of people be like crazy and right. then just be very dismissive of you the mm-hmm. rest of your life mm-hmm. uh, j- just like if you saw if you were confident that you saw a UFO mm-hmm. that's gotten more mainstream lately mm-hmm. but for a long time that immediately put you into nutjob territory yeah if you tell somebody like well I saw the saucer just the last one you know like they're like oh, okay that guy's a little bit different mm-hmm. so I used to think about how that would be I was like I wanted to see that me for me the UFO so badly but then I'd have you know give, give myself pause i'm like do i mm-hmm. because if i see something really cool i'm gonna want to talk about it true it's my personality and it's not going to go well socially for me mm-hmm. and same thing with the exorcism but it could be like a fun thing since we don't really like a lot of people we well could... that's true it screens people out there you go and i already have that with some tattoos i have some scary scary looking tattoos and it it's worked like a charm Mostly on airplanes. No one wants to talk to you. Airplanes and just coffee shops. Really just kind of out in public in general. Um, Because you look like you. I look like me. And then people see those. And there is a certain percentage of people who are just like, I am not going to pursue talking to this guy. I know. I like it. I'm a little bit jealous. Mm -hmm. All right. Because I talk to everyone. It's Mm -hmm. my own fault. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. I stumbled upon your podcast a couple of days ago after hearing about your station on my Pandora app. I decided I would give it a listen, and the first episode I listened to was The Imposter. I have no idea why I clicked on that one, but I did. In that episode, you both wondered what life was like after an exorcism. I think I might be able to help. Now, either you can believe what I'm about to tell you or take it with a grain of salt. I didn't message you to convince you, just to help shed some light onto the situation and help answer any questions you might have. So let's get started. The year is 1995. It's a cool, warm fall evening. A boy, let's call him Tim, and his older siblings have just been called into the house for dinner. They all rush home like they haven't eaten for days. Tim was the last one to enter the house. After all the kids had washed up, they all sat down and enjoyed a nice, warm dinner. Everything was just as it usually was until later that night. After dinner, mom and dad ordered the kids to go upstairs and, quote, take your baths and get ready for bed, and they better not hear any fooling around up there. They heard it every night, yet they never heeded her advice. For some reason, though, on that night, they did. They went up, took their baths, got straight into their pajamas, and got ready for bed. After dad made his nightly check-in to make sure we were in bed, the oldest sister came into the boys' room. The girls and the boys both shared separate rooms. There were two girls and three boys, so the girls were always upset when the boys got the larger room. Anyways, when the oldest sister, Nancy, came into the room, she had something under her arm that none of the boys could quite make out. 
Suddenly, Nancy sat down in the middle of the room and turned a flashlight to show the boys what she'd brought in. It was, no, it was a Ouija board. The two older brothers, Bob and Mark, were excited and thrilled to get started. Tim, however, didn't want anything to do with it. They convinced him to join them, and as Tim came to the floor, they heard the door open. Their hearts dropped, thinking they were caught, only to realize it was their other sister, Denise. She joined them, and they began to ask a series of questions. The kids were trying to communicate with their brother who had passed away the year before from breathing complications as a newborn. They tried for hours. Nothing came of it that night. They tried every night for the next week. Nothing. But then finally, on the last night, as they were getting ready to call it quits, Tim started getting a funny feeling in his stomach, like he had butterflies. He never felt it before, so he didn't want to say anything. When all of a sudden, the planchet started to move. The kids started to blame each other, but Tim knew it wasn't them. They kept asking questions, and in return, they were getting answers. Question after question, Tim grew more and more sick to his stomach, and finally, he spoke up, but the kids were too excited to stop. They were speaking with their brother, or so they thought. Finally, Mom came in because she heard the noise and put the whole thing to rest, told them that there was no way they could communicate with their brother and that they'd better stop messing around with this board. The next morning, on the way to school, Tim saw the Ouija board in the trash. He still wasn't feeling the best. He didn't sleep well at all the night before, and he was worried about what his mom had said after they had caught them. If we can't talk to our brother, he thought, then who are we talking to? He couldn't keep his mind straight all day, and when he got home, all he wanted to do was sleep. He figured it was because of the night before. He woke the next morning just as exhausted as the day before, as if he didn't sleep at all. This went on for days. His mother started to worry because he was skipping dinner and going straight to bed. In the next few weeks, events began happening. Tim started seeing figures out of the corner of his eye. His brothers and sisters said that they would hear him having a conversation with himself, but in multiple voices. His mood changed dramatically. He went from a shy, polite boy to a very agitated, short-tempered, angry something. The events became so bad that mom and dad decided it would be best for the four other siblings to stay at their grandparents until all of this was resolved. This is where Tim's version of the story goes blank for a while. One night, mom was having a restless night of sleep. She got up to go to the restroom, and upon returning, she saw a figure standing in her doorway. She said that the figure had red eyes and was breathing heavy with a slight growl. She froze. She tried mustering up the energy to wake up dad, but she couldn't. Finally, she was able to lunge towards the bed and turn on the bedside lamp. When she turned on the light, much to her disbelief, Tim stood there, standing there like he was in some sort of sleepwalking haze. She slowly walked over him, calling out to him, Tim? Honey, are you okay? Tim let out a tremendous growl that woke up her, their dad and frightened mom as she backed away to the other side of the room. Once dad awoke, Tim collapsed. They both knew what needed to be done. The next day, they called their nephew, who happened to be a priest. See, Tim and his family were Catholics, so they did what they thought was best, go to church. The, the priest, Father Paul, came over and had a conversation with the family. After talking with mom and dad, he went and talked with Tim. He wasn't in there for more than five minutes when he walked out and said that he needs an exorcism right now. Father Paul knew that going through the chain of command would have taken too long, so he made a split decision to do it himself. Back then, not just any priest could perform an exorcism. You had to have specific training. It had to be approved through Rome as well. Things have changed a bit since, but I digress. Father Paul took mom and dad into Tim's room. He said that the more people praying for Tim, the better. They were in there all day and most of the night. At 2.11 a.m., things took a turn for the worse. Father Paul could see that things weren't going anywhere with this entity. 
So he decided to ask for its name and try to take domain over it. He demanded three times to give the name, and finally what came out of Tim's mouth still frightens his mom and dad to this day. When asked what its name was, Tim said, I only answer to Samuel. At that point, every single thing on the wall fell off and slammed to the ground, and that is how they knew that it was 2.11 in the morning. Hmm. They decided that they needed to take a break and come up with a new plan. After they went out and came back in, they mustered up everything they had, and after what seemed like an eternity, the feeling in the room eventually changed. It was no longer cold. It didn't feel like someone had a grip around your chest. They felt like they had won. Finally, Tim's eyes opened, looking at his mom, and he started to cry. He had no idea what had happened. The last thing he remembered was being super tired and sleeping all of the time. He asked if everything was okay, and his mom and dad said, it is. Now it is. Fast forward to present day. Tim is living life just fine. He's married, he's working at a job he loves, and he's loving his life. However, things aren't so peachy as the movies make it seem. Movies make post-exorcisms all rainbows and unicorns. That's not always the case, especially for Tim. Growing up, Tim had more tragedies in his life that evolve around his possession. Those will be saved for another time. Tim still sees those figures out of the corner of his eyes. He still sees the red eyes every now and then, and he still has the occasional nightmare. Father Paul taught him how to hold off these evil entities and to keep them at bay. He told him that since they have have had a hold, they might not let go all of the way. It's like Tim has a cross to bear for the rest of his life. You might ask, how do I know so much about this person? How can this stranger know all of this about Tim? It is because I am Tim. I lived this trauma and I bear this cross. I keep this evil at bay, but I'm okay with it because the way I see it, as long as they are stuck to me, losing their battle with me, I am keeping them from winning a battle with someone else. Yours truly, Tim. Hmm. That's yeah, an interesting perspective on all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so weird to think that like, I mean... You know, with with extras, just like the one with uh, in Romania, you know, last week, you know, with Tim, it's a uh, or or anybody who's had this happen. There is always going to be speculation about mental illness. You know, like uh, schizophrenia or something like that, uh, undiagnosed, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But that's interesting that like um, that for some. Okay, let's say let's say it is mental illness. It, it, it's interesting that it would manifest its way. In a religious kind of vein, that you're not just uh, that you're always seeing like d- shadowy things, uh, as opposed to just you know like nonsensical kind of imagery around mm. you or something else. Like like why is it why is it um, religious based well, mental illness? Why is it why do you think it's religion based? Because they see the devil, right? Because they're seeing like like uh, demons. I don't. I'll, they're I'm, seeing. I'm just trying to like like they're seeing uh, their symptoms or whatever. Mm-hmm. Are things uh, you know from the paranormal as opposed to you're in some reality where you think you're a crazy businessman or mm-hmm. or, or or just something that has nothing to do with like good and evil, yeah, Satan and, and darkness. Yeah, I don't immediately think of it with a religious spin on it. Th- I'm just saying in, the, in some t- like in tales of exorcism based stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think in tales of exorcism, I don't necessarily know that the demons seem inherently religious. It's just that that's the the method mm. in which they've decided to try and get rid of it. I think if you explored it like okay, if you went to like uh, American Indian culture yeah. and they try to like smoke it out, sweat it out in the lodge, sage, right. like would you still feel like that was religion? Oh, yeah, I see what you're like, saying. It, yeah. It's like it's religion, but it's like religion as it applies to the person and what they practice mm, in their life. True, true. Yeah. But what what I what, what this story the reason that it kind of stuck with me was like mm-hmm. 
I don't think that Tim is mentally ill unless No, 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 no I'm not saying he is. I'm no, just saying I know. yeah. Yeah. I know you're not, but I don't think that that's what it was about at all cuz it's like I mean, yes, there's a chance that anybody could say they were exercised and now they're living a normal life and that's their perception of mm -hmm. reality even though it's not true, but for all intents and purposes like Tim is married, has a job mm -hmm. he loves, like he's normal, normal. You know, he he feels good about life, but he still is having like experiences where he encounters things from the other side. Right, right. Like it's ongoing and I never thought about that as a possibility like though the mm -hmm. the demon or whatever is out of him it's still trying to get back in. And, and that's what I was trying to move and struggle, struggling with my uh, explanation with your, here. With your COVID brain? <laughs> Something. I'm just tired. I'm no, really know. tired it's today. Been a long... It's been a long couple of weeks and I am exhausted. Yeah. So just bear with me. But, um, but just in, in this vein here, I was just saying like, uh, it would be weird mental illness wise if then the rest of your life, um, you're seeing like a, a degraded form of what you experienced earlier. Like, mm -hmm. like that's not how like, Without, without medication, that's not how that kind of mental illness would manifest. Right. You wouldn't have like a, an episode of intense shadows and things tormenting you and then have some kind of, you know, religious experience. And then all of a sudden those things are still around, but in like a lesser form or mm -hmm. hiding around mm -hmm. the edges, which would make me um, lean away from mental illness mm -hmm. and think that like that is some kind of paranormal thing. And then going with uh, uh, reality now, let's say it's paranormal or that possibility rather. How weird that there could be this possibility that, like, yes, you can get rid of these things as far as, like, you know, being uh, inside you or possessing mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. but they're still going to be lurking around the edges for the rest of your life. Like, mm -hmm. what is that about? Like, why have these things chosen to target Tim or, or any one person yeah. and then follow them the rest of their life? That's terrifying. Yeah. I think we both just said the exact same thing in two different ways. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I was happy happy i guess to like read that story that it's survivable mm -hmm. and it you know uh i don't know i sort of think of it as like a cancer like yeah you can have breast cancer and you can beat it but then right. it's like only it's so many years before you're in remission but you're always like a little bit nervous mm -hmm. that it could come back or it could show up somewhere else in your body yeah, right yeah, like yeah. It, it's a disease and that's kind of how i think of this now after reading that story i'm like oh yeah that's what it's like you've you've gotten rid of it but it's always got you a little bit on edge. You're always a little bit nervous of like, was that my imagination? Was that a shadow? Or was that something else? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It must be, uh, it would be anxiety inducing for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Tim sounds like he's got it under control as best she can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You ready for one more? I am. Okay. Uh, so this is so weird. Uh, it's a story of, you know, these people move into this apartment and something is going on in the apartment across from them. But like, we're going to explore what that might be. But it's a particular kind of apartment. I don't know if they live in California, mm -hmm. but I was like, oh, my God, I feel like I've been in this kind of apartment complex. It's those ones in L.A. where it's like you would enter off the street. There'd be like a set of stairs. You go through a gate and then there would be like this courtyard, this common courtyard. And then all the apartments would be like around it, like Jacob and Sherry's. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh, yeah. Uh -huh. So it's just like it was so common for those kinds of apartments, specifically in California. I've never been in an apartment like that anywhere else. Because I don't know if it's just because the weather or yeah. like, I don't know when they were built up, like in the 60s, but it's so specific. So I was like, okay, I could put myself in this story. Cool. I see it. I know exactly what's happening. Okay. Hello, King of Creep. Oh boy, here we go. Now <laughs> it's my turn. Hello, King of Creeps, Queen of Peeps. I mean, that is tough. I found your podcast at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, and I've been hooked ever since. 
That's crazy. That was two years ago. Mm-hmm. I've listened to every episode at least twice, and I recommend the show to every spoopy-loving person I meet. Ah, thank you. I've been thinking about writing in ever since I found your podcast, and I finally convinced myself that my story is worthy enough for this show. I don't know what to make of this story. All I know is that it still gives me chills when I think about it. Time now for the tale of Our Neighbor's Apartment. My boyfriend at the time and I moved into our new apartment in October of 2018. It was one of those complexes where the stairs were outside and each apartment had a large sliding door facing toward a common green area. Our apartment was on the ground floor. While we were moving in, we met our neighbors who lived above us and those that lived kitty-corner to us. The neighbor directly across from us, we caught a gre- we caught a brief glimpse of him as we were moving in our couch, but neither of us said hello. Fast forward months later, my boyfriend works late evenings and I work mornings, so there's always one of us home. We also had four small dogs living with us, so we were going outside multiple times a day to take them on their walks. Being fairly active in this way, it was common to see our neighbors come and go in their daily routines, except for the neighbor across from us. We caught a couple glimpses of him and he walked around the corner of the building, but nothing else. This was noticeable enough that we had multiple conversations about how eerily mysterious he was. We figured maybe he had a girlfriend and he spent most of his time at her place instead of his own. One night, my boyfriend, let's call him Alex, had the night off of work and was home playing video games. It was about 2 a.m. that he got up to take a couple of our dogs outside to go potty one more time before going to bed. Being a fairly light sleeper, I woke up at the sounds of him and the dogs getting up and moving about. I sat in bed, scrolling on my phone, and when he came back inside, he came into the bedroom and saw I was awake, stood and stared at me with his mouth slightly agape before he finally spoke. So, I was outside with the pups. We were standing in front of our neighbor's door. I looked up. This guy has his blinds all the way open so I could see into his living room. And he's sitting in a chair, lights off, just staring at the wall. No TV, (sighs) no lights. My God. He's not doing anything anything just an old man sitting in the middle of his living room doing nothing okay well that sounds weird but he's not an old man dude i've seen him uh he's uh, i've seen him at least enough to know he's younger maybe our age definitely in his 20s are you sure i mean this is the first time i've seen him at all oh i'm sure but now i've got to go look so i get up i get our two other dogs attach the leashes to their collar and head out the door as quietly as i can I walk in the area in front of our neighbor's sliding door, and as nonchalantly and subtly as I can, I glance over to look inside. I can see the chair that Alex was talking about, but it's empty. There's no one sitting in it. And then my heart leaps up into my throat when I see a face. It took a second to realize it wasn't a human face, but that of a dog. It looked like some sort of boxer mix with big droopy eyes and lips. It was laying inside of the apartment looking out the window. I instantly relaxed, until I realized how strangely this dog was behaving. Almost every dog will have some sort of reaction to seeing another person, or two dogs right outside their window. The dog wasn't moving. At all. I got closer, and I walked back and forth, trying to see if its eyes or head or tail would move in response. Nothing. I stood and studied it for a few seconds. I was convinced it was some sort of very realistic, very realistic statue that this guy had placed right in front of his window. Not a statue. The dog was definitely breathing. I could see its body move as it inhaled Mm. and exhaled, but its eyes stared straight forward, and it wasn't reacting to me or my dogs in any way. 
I stepped back and racked my brain for any memory of seeing this dog before. We've been living here for almost six months and neither of us have ever seen this dog. As I'm thinking about this, I glanced over to where the neighbor's bedroom window is and I could see that there was a disruption in the blinds, as if someone was holding down one of the plastic slats so they could look out. A moment later, it moved so it was back in line, like they were done watching me. I went back inside where I found Alex standing, waiting for me. So, did you see him? I told him what I saw. We both sat on the couch for a few moments and discussed. Maybe our neighbor's father was in town visiting him and that's who we saw? Maybe the dog belongs to him and that's why we'd never seen the dog before. Yeah, maybe it's just a really well-behaved dog. Maybe the blinds in the window were stuck that, that way and maybe I, my eyes were playing tricks on me. We eventually got to the point where we were both satisfied with our logical answers and with our logical answers that we had come up with, with no explanation to these weird encounters. We got up and went to bed. About 10 minutes later, we're both lying in bed, winding down when we heard a noise. Living in an apartment complex, we hear all sorts of noises from the residents around us. But this was a new one. It sounded like it was coming from our living room. It was a light scraping sound. We sat there and stared at each other in silence. After a moment, I got up and went to the living room to see if anything was there that could explain the sound. Nothing. Out of habit, I glanced at the door to make sure it was locked. And I noticed that the chain was a little loose. So I went to slide it all the way into the lock. And as I did, I realized that was the sound. I gently used my finger to slide the chain back and forth within the lock, the metal scraping lightly against the wooden door. That's what we heard. That was the sound. Alex came into the living room. There it is again. What's making that sound? And I showed him how the sound of the chain sliding within the lock against the wood frame made the exact sound we heard from our bedroom. We just looked at each other. How was our lock moving? It didn't make any sense. Rather than sit and discuss this one, we just went to bed. It was a creepy night, but we did our best to explain it away. A few weeks later, we noticed an employee from the apartment complex walking into our neighbor's apartment. We peeked through the open door, and there was no furniture in there. It appeared as though our neighbor had moved out. About a week later, I was checking our mail when I noticed a stray envelope sitting on top of the mail receptacle. I picked it up, turning it over to see if it was addressed to myself or Alex, thinking maybe it was misplaced and a neighbor put it there so we would find it. But it wasn't ours. But I did recognize the name. It was the name of a guy that I'd gone to high school with. I looked at which apartment it was addressed to. Apartment A, the one directly across from ours. The one with the creepy neighbor and dog. I couldn't believe that this whole time we were living next to someone that I knew and just thinking it was some creepy person. I opened Facebook, typed in his name, thinking I would send him a message with like a funny circumstance and maybe we could catch up. I was shocked at what I found. He had died by suicide a few weeks earlier, and his profile was filled with friends leaving messages saying goodbye. I sat on my couch in shock, and Alex was equally as perturbed as I was when I told him about it. A couple weeks later, we had a new neighbor, a young single man who lived there for about two months before he broke his lease and moved out. Mm. A couple weeks later after that, another new neighbor. This one was another young single man. We noticed he never moved any furniture into the apartment, but we saw him come and go frequently. After a few months, we stopped seeing him at all. He also broke his lease early to move out. A few weeks after that, a young couple moved in. They were friendly and sociable, and they had lived there longer than any of the previous tenants we had known. One drunken night with friends, after I told them about the unusual experience, we decided to take some chalk and write on the sidewalk in front of the neighbor's door, is your apartment haunted? <laughs> yes or no? The next morning, I woke up and opened the door to see the if they had responded, and all the writing was gone. The chalk was gone. It was like nothing was ever written there. 
We still speak about that night and what we witnessed. Yes, these things can be reasonably explained on their own, but when you connect the unusual behavior of whoever was sitting in that chair and the unmoving dog and whoever was looking at me through the bedroom window, the untimely death of the man who lived there, our lock moving on its own, and two separate occupants leaving after just a few months, it seems a little sus, as the kids would say. (laughs) Thank you for taking time to read my story. Make of it what you will. Keep up the great work and stay spoopy. Your number one creep, Sydney. Sydney, it just got so cold in here. Uh, Are you feeling it? No. Weird. I'm feeling like so, so cold all of a sudden. Um, Well, that's not good. uh, But yeah, that was a really, that was a creepy story. That story saved this episode. Oh dear. (laughs) That was a rough one. My my stories were terrible. They weren't terrible. Oh, they weren't? No. Uh, Okay, good. You were just a little fumbly. Okay, good, good. But but the the meat of the stories were so great. Okay, good. That that story, uh, yeah, genuinely creeped me out. Yeah, so weird. And, and I and I was picturing that courtyard setup. I mean, we're talking about like uh, Jacob and Sherry's old apartment. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is that standard kind of California thing where you have like all these units facing towards each other in, mm-hmm. the, in the middle. Usually there's a pool in the center. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it, it just painted that, you know, such a picture of like looking out your window straight into a neighbor's window mm-hmm. and, just, and seeing that there's something so creepy about the guy in the chair facing the wall of any age. I know. Just seeing somebody just silently like... Why is the chair facing the wall? You know, there's just so many questions. So Why many aren't questions. they moving? Are they asleep? You know, and, and then you combine that with the people moving out and, mm-hmm. the, and the death and the blinds and the dog. I mean, it's just so many things. That is creepy. So creepy. And then just like sent me on this long, like litany of people that I've lived by. Mm-hmm. I mean, I lived in so many apartments in L.A. Yeah. So, 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 so many. Like, I lived in these apartments just off of Barham, and they butted up to, um, like, the uh, like a foresty area, and on the other side of it was Forest Lawn Cemetery, which is, like, a, like a very famous cemetery. Mm-hmm, so I was always mm-hmm. a little like, okay, what's going on over there? Yeah. Like, I lived, uh, like, in our apartment, I was thinking about, like, the weird um, mother-son duo in the front. Remember? <laughs> just, like, weird yeah. people. The people yeah. you encounter living mm-hmm. in apartments are just... Wow. Yeah. And you hear everything. I mean, you name it, you've heard it. Mm-hmm. I had these neighbors when I lived at Park La Brea <laughs> that would make curry every Saturday morning, and I was just so young and hungover all the time. I hated them so much. It just <laughs> Didn't want stunk up the whole building. Mm-hmm. It was awful. Just like so many weird things. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. I know I'm flashing on various neighbors over the course of my life now, oh, like apartment yeah. buildings, and just like, oh, yeah, that guy and that weird quiet guy who always seemed super anxious and mm-hmm. like uh, rattled and never saw anybody going in and out of his apartment and what was going on in there yeah but just like yeah just thinking about speculating about various neighbors in the past i know mm-hmm. i know cuz it's like there's no other situation other than maybe a college dorm right. where you live in close quarters of a lot of strangers ah <sighs> it is kind of a weird concept mhm I'm thinking. I'm thinking now about. We, I don't think we've told a story set here yet, but Hotel Cecil. Oh uh, yeah, it's a very infamous LA hotel. Mm-hmm. It's where Elisa Lamb um, sadly drowned on the mm-hmm. roof in that water tank, and the myster- mystery around that. And it's where like Richard Ramirez and other various serial killers um, spent time living there. Mm-hmm. And there are stories of so many ghosts. I don't know why we haven't done a story, but I was just picturing well, like. Because did you do it on Time Suck? Well, I talked about Elisa Lamb there, but I don't mm-hmm. know that I've figured out like another haunted story for scared to death here but i'm just picturing like that kind of apartment building how how creepy and terrifying where like you know there's bad people mm-hmm. doing bad things around you mm-hmm. and then all the bad energy that's 
on top of all that, with all this tragedy that's occurred there, oh man, just like living there, like when you hear some noise, like I've stayed in some shady, uh, especially early in my career, shady motels. And then you hear stuff you're like, I hope that wasn't what I think it might have been. And, right. And, and, you know, it's like, oh, my God, what is going on around me? Well, yeah. And in, <sighs> and in L.A., yeah. I think there's also this other element, you know, of actual mental illness. Mm-hmm. And the, the homeless population is so intense. Like, I know our friends Dayton Bree, mm-hmm. they have a really nice apartment in Santa Monica. I mean, paying God awful money for it. Yeah. Right. And like and. Date has like found like homeless people sleeping in the stairwell of their apartment because they mm-hmm. are these like open mm-hmm. concepts. You don't need a code to get in. And it's just like, can you, when you just like combine all of those elements, strangers living all around you, mm-hmm. th- there could be like the drunk, you know, college student that lives next door to you that did pass out in the hallway, mm-hmm. didn't make it mm-hmm. up or it's a random homeless guy and that person could attack you because they're mentally ill. Like there's so many weird factors. And then if you had the stress of thinking that your place was haunted on top of it, it's like a ticking yeah. time bomb. Eey. Sorry about that. I just That's hit okay. the mic. <laughs> <sighs> aye, aye, aye. Uh, do you want to thank some Annabelle's? I do, Dan. Thank you so much for asking Do you want to start? Me. I do. I do. Thank you to the following Annabelle's for supporting us on Patreon. Sarah Littlefear, Neo Kitty, Sigri Flores, Wanda Hansen, Christina Atkins, Aaron and Chelsea, oh, Aaron and Chelsea Oliver forever, Amber uh, Sweener, Swenner, Carissa and Clarissa Bay, Annie White, Liz Espino, Dylan Jasklowski, D. Yanero, Russell Jaska, Tyler Grote, Wild Bill, Maya St. Clair, Drew Snyder, Cindy Mull, Amanda Brock, Tracy Wishick, Brian Lee, Taylor Manzoli, Alice Clark, Evan Olson, Alyssa Donarski. <laughs> oh, oh, and, and I messed up uh, Annabelle shout out a couple weeks ago, oh, okay. so I just want to correct Redo? this. Yeah. yeah. Jelly and Boogie. <laughs> Jelly and Boogie. What do you mm-hmm. say? Uh, I, I missed like half of the couple. Got I got it. like one of the names and then I caught it. I have like a correction sheet and I was like, oh, oh that's good. Piss and vinegar. <laughs> uh, I'd like to thank the following Annabelle's Shane Maxwell, Paula Maritini, Mo, Alyssa Morgan, Jessica Darn or Darney, uh, Madison, Madison Binkowski, Hunter Willis, The Jenks, Jason Ortiz, uh, Chanel Atkins, Josh Loveland, Lori Grinke, Victoria Frega, Jessica Schatzka, uh, Sarah Pross, Jessica Bellhouse, Kay uh, Sorrells, Jules Juarez, Diana Lopez, Bo, uh, Brittany Scholes, Alyssa Chavez, Jamie Patchen, Sarah Vies, and Lucy Shannon. Awesome. Um, and then also on the spoopy shout outs, yeah. so I have like it, you know, listed out week by week with yeah. the date. Um, I somehow missed a week somewhere in February. Hmm. So I'm, I think that I corrected these and I think that they're on the right weeks. But if I'm yeah. a week early or a week late on your personal spooky shout out, my deepest apologies. It was just like a weird thing. I'm like, why did I go from February 1st to February 14th? Like I just skipped Ew. the week okay. in between. So it kind of threw off the the rhythm. But I, and then I was cutting and pasting it yeah. and I didn't cut and paste properly. Cause like in Excel, if you don't have enough rows, yeah. it'll just not transfer the paste. Huh. Yeah, I learned a lot about, well, I use numbers, but. Yeah, you learned learned a lot about spreadsheets. Yeah, it was interesting. So here we go to Christine from Chris. Oh, I'm not sure what happened, Christine, but something between you guys and Chris says you should go hug him. To (laughs) Poor We Na Love Day, 
sending in a, a spoopy shout out to herself because she lives in India and doesn't know anyone else who listens to the show and she wanted a happy birthday shout out. Okay. To Jerry from Victoria, drive safe and I love you so much. To Jordan from Crystal, happy belated birthday. And that is our show. Uh, hope to be more rested next week. That's the goal. Sorry about the mush mouth. Yeah, sorry. It happens sometimes. Uh, and, and what's funny is I felt great before the before the recording. I know. Isn't that a weird thing? You sit mm-hmm. down and you settle in and you're like, oh, oh no. weird. What just happened? Mm, my brain felt uh, was felt super sharp mm-hmm. uh, all morning long and then sat down, went over these beforehand. I was like, yep, got them locked and loaded. I know. Me too. I read them twice today. I was like, I am really going to like crush it. Sometimes nope. it's like a weird like overconfidence thing for me where I'm like like some some days I'm like, mm. no, nah, I got this. This is gonna be a walk in the park. I know. I have noticed actually, <laughs> if I read it too many times, my brain mm. will skip ahead to words like ahead as opposed you to up. Yeah, as opposed to reading it once yeah. when I'm putting it together, yep. reading it another time and then just going with it. Cause it's like I have to focus harder because I don't know what's coming next. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It's a weird thing. Yeah. Maybe we over prepared for today's show. I wonder how people who give a lot of speeches feel. Like, do they not practice it as much because it's like, uh. Mm. And I think that's different, though, where the expectation is different. If mm. you're just giving this, like, speech, like, you know, here and there, mm-hmm. you can really rehearse and rehearse, kind of like stand-up, I think. But what for if me. you're, like, the president and you have to give a lot of speeches? Oh, I don't know. Then you, uh. They don't seem to fumble that much. I know, because even, like, George W., like, he fumbled sometimes. Mm-hmm. But in the grand scheme of things, not that much. And then he was, like, mocked so hard for it. And I'm like, yeah, you give a million fucking speeches. Right. And see how many uh, words you get accurately. Well, also you're carrying like the weight of the world. It's not like you're, <laughs> right, it's not right. like you're giving speeches about like, and everybody gets a million dollars. You get a car. You get a car. You get a car. Oprah. Uh, that is our show. Thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror uh, to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else at info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to uh, Logan Keith, Liz Hernandez for the work on social media. It's Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com. Thanks to Joe Paisley, producing and directing today. Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. And book editor Drew Atana for helping format the listener stories each week. And thank you to producer Olivia Lee for finding both of today's stories. Uh, you did great, Olivia. I uh, I did my best. Uh, <laughs> enjoy your nightmares, creeps, and fevers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, Fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but has no home here within scared to death. Bad Magic Productions. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense. 
so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 